Well, there you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. This episode's a little bit different. We do have a veteran and we have his wife along with him. They are working on a program that helps veterans in need, serious need, veterans that are suffering from TBI, post-traumatic stress, and are looking for alternatives to get them out of those dark places. They've done phenomenal work with Hua Inc., org, And their initiative for veteran suicide is Victory for 22. You're really going to enjoy this episode. And I thank you once again for listening to Straight Out of Combat Radio. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night. You were born to fight. My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all burn it down. This episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero, is going to take a little bit of a turn. We have a husband and a wife team today. He's a United States Army veteran and a United States Army Ranger. They're working on a project now that is so very timely in light of a friend that we lost last week. Of course, the details aren't out yet, but he was 37 years old, 12 years time in service, special forces operator, multiple deployments, 44 months time in combat, uh, knew Adam for a little over four years, and he... uh, Never seemed to quite get back in tune to uh, to live in his life fully again. We had taken him to Canada uh, to get him a service dog, and just uh, things seemed to have spiraled in the last couple of months. He tragically passed away up in Atlanta. Again, we don't know the details, so we can only speculate, but a 37-year-old, that's much too young to lose your life. And so that's why I'm super excited to have today's guest on the air with us on this podcast episode Bod Sebastian and his wife Melissa, and uh, thank you for being here. Thank you for having us. Oh, thank you for having us. Absolutely. So you know, before we get started, I just want to give a brief backdrop, Bob, of your military service. You know how you got to the United States Army Rangers, very briefly, and then I want to talk a little bit how you met your beloved, and then uh, I really want to talk about your programs. You know what you're doing to help people that are in those places. So. Tell me what it was like growing up in the Sebastian household. Well, I grew up a Navy brat. My father was a 20-year Navy veteran. Uh, I understood uh, separation, what families go through, and moving around. We moved every two to three years for several years. And as I got older, I knew I wanted to serve. and. Uh, never really took high school very seriously, nothing like that. I was in the work program, and I met an Army Ranger who was also a co-founder named Rocky Adi, and just would kind of drool a little bit when I would talk to him. You know, here's this guy that is experienced all this stuff in the world, and man, I want to be like him. So graduate from high school. I initially went to the Navy recruiting office 
looking at their special operations seal programs and essentially believe it or not i'm sure i'm the only one that was lied to by a recruiter <laughs> and, yeah um, so but i had taken all the tests physicals everything with the navy and when he lied to me i walked down the hall and walked in the army recruiting office and said i want to join the army and i want to be an army ranger where do i sign up and they said well you got to do all this stuff i said he's got it right down the hall went and got it and i left a few months later on the delayed entry program yep i know that program well yeah one station unit training did basic advanced individual training and then airborne school all at fort benning georgia and then at that time, there was only the 1st Ranger Battalion and the 2nd Ranger Battalion. And I chose to go out to the 2nd Ranger Battalion. So went out there and did the Ranger indoctrination course. And I have to admit, I loved everything about it. I loved being in the United States Army Rangers and Charlie Company 2nd Platoon. Got to get that plug in. And, and I just loved everything about it. I really did. Yeah, and I, you know, I know several Rangers. Of course, I didn't go that route, but you know, it definitely is a school that's not for. It's not easy, and uh, it's the elite of the infantry for sure in in our army. And so, you know, what was Ranger training like for you? Well, going through Ranger indoctrination program, it. I think we started with about forty seven people, and seventeen of us graduated. And this was back in 1983. We, once we graduated, we were issued pagers because the second ranger battalion was on alert status and we were able to leave. You know, we graduated on Friday that, um, Saturday was the alert for Grenada. So my very first day in the Ranger Battalion was being trucked over and being assigned to Charlie Company while they're getting ready to deploy for the Grenada conflict. So talk about shock factor. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I did not go to the island. Uh, I stayed in the staging area. And then when we returned, it was just, you know, constant training, you know, nonstop airborne operations, patrolling, reconnaissance, and again, loved it. And unfortunately, I got hurt training down in Panama doing jungle operations training and came back to the battalion and had several doctor's appointments, surgeries, and was finally um, put out of the service and miss it to this day but i had the honor of serving with some great people in the lineage of not only the rangers but in all the branches it's just the men and women who serve in my mind are the true heroes of the country and to be able to just be part of that for a few years of my life is one of the most important things in my life well, thank you for that. You know, I know that the Ranger Creed Rangers lead the way. So even though you had that setback and it wasn't how you wanted it to happen, you went on into the civilian world and you took the Creed with you. And you obviously 
had great success. Can you tell us a little bit about that transition and what you did, which led to where you're at now? Yeah, the transition for me going into the service was actually very easy. Not not the physical and, you know, some of the mental tests they do for your toughness, but it seemed like it was what I yearn for in life. The discipline, the attention to detail, the brotherhood, it was just there. And when I got hurt and I, I was discharged, even though I was only in for a short time, you know, three years, the transition to civilian life was, are, is it really that hard to get to work on time? Is it really that difficult to stay a little later at work or just basic things like that? Is it really stressful sitting in traffic or those things that seem huge to a lot of people, to me, they were, and I'm glad I'm sitting here, you know, able to sit here in traffic, or I think it's great that I have a job and I can get there on time that someone is giving me a job and trusting me. And, and that was kind of tough, that transition. And, but I didn't let it change me. And I kept driving on and, and actually was sitting down one day talking to my father and saying, I don't know what I want to do. And, um, you know, I had contributed to the Veterans Education Fund, so I had quite a bit of money sitting in there. I had been working at a job at a defense contractor and was part of a reduction in force, and they had a pretty good severance package. And so I had a lot of money sitting there for school, but I just had no idea what I wanted to do. And I actually went and got Melissa's car serviced. And it was just a terrible experience. And I couldn't believe that this is how the auto industry was. And and I was sitting there talking to my father about it. And he said, well, why don't you become a auto technician and make a difference? So at that moment, I did. Went to tech school. And then I knew, you know, going to get your car repair is as bad as going to the dentist or <laughs> dealing with a lawyer. <laughs> that is and the darn I truth. Thought, I mean, there's horror stories everywhere. And I thought it doesn't have to be that way. So a few years later, was in a position to own my own business, and I got everybody in the, the store involved. We would talk about how much taxes were and the expenses to the uh, business itself, and I would bring the customers back to meet the technicians, the customers were allowed to go into our shop. And, you know, I see these signs or other companies would say, well, what do you do that for? Insurance companies don't want them in. That, that wasn't true in my case. Maybe there are some insurance companies out there that say that. But so we tried to make the best 
out of something everybody hates doing. And we actually had a very loyal customer following. And about seven, eight months after that, I had the opportunity to get a second location. I did. Year after that, I had an opportunity for another location. And these locations, except for our first one, were ones that were failing. And my second location ended up being our best location. And all it was was changing the way we treated our customers, the way we treated our employees. Everyone in the whole company had a voice in the direction we would go if we were going to change something. And we ended up with a a really, really great team. Um, I forget exactly how many years total. 13. 13 years total. We ended up with nine locations in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area and almost 100 employees. And I was actually looking to expand to more locations when I got an offer to be bought out that I absolutely could not refuse. Well, you know, I'll tell you, Bob, that's a phenomenal story because, you know, a couple of things. First of all, you're so very, very right that the auto repair industry, I mean, we've been hearing horror stories since we were old enough to drive. And for you to take that and turn it around and put so much passion and organization into your businesses and the service and customer care, I mean, proof positive that, when you re- when you make your customers a priority, which unfortunately a lot of businesses don't, that you can actually make something happen. So, you know, kudos to you. And it seems like you handled the transition pretty well and you're able to take some of those skill sets that you learned in the Rangers to your workplace. Thank you. Yes, absolutely. And I, I really, I did enjoy it. Yeah, and that's cool. And I'm glad you did because now you've moved in to another realm of community service, if you will, that is also taking care of a different kind of customer, one uh, that sacrifices everything for our benefit and for our opportunities. And, you know, tell us a little bit about how Melissa and you, or you came about with the idea and the reason for uh, whoinc.org. Tell us how that happened. And, you know, with your give back spirit, I kind of know a little bit about it, but Tell us that story, how Hua Inc. got started. Well, it was Christmas time, 2010. Bob and I had been together for 21 years at that point. Awesome. And we decided we no longer needed to buy Christmas presents for each other. Instead, <laughs> we would take those dollars and donate to a charity. Bob took some time to research charities that were supporting causes that we believed in, which was animals, children, and the military. And we were very disappointed to find out how much money was being spent on things other than the actual cause, salaries, meetings, travel, conferences. So we tabled the idea till after the first of the year, and we decided we would just start sending care packages to deployed troops and thought, well, we'll send about one a month and we'll just see how it goes. We wanted to send uh, packages to rangers because that's near and dear to Bob's heart. And it took a while for us to get our contacts and get a name and address and somebody that trusted us. And we did this all through the world of Facebook. And we were put in touch with the regimental ranger secretary. And in April, we sent our very first package. And we just started telling people word of mouth what we were doing. And next thing you know, people would be coming over and dropping stuff off for the care packages. 
I hosted an open house in our home close to Memorial Day that year where we invited family, friends, neighbors, coworkers, and we got enough stuff for 10 packages in that one day. And it just kept continuing. Bob's parents, every time they went to Sam's Club, would pick up a couple extra things. Our neighbor who worked for General Mills would go shopping in the employee store on payday and come over with a grocery bag full of stuff. And it just kept evolving to where we were sending packages every other week and sending more than one every other week. And one night we're out for dinner with some ranger buddies at Bob's and their wives and told them what we'd been doing. And they were aware of it and said, we're going to form an official organization because we had some people ask if donations were tax deductible or if we were a registered 501c3. We did see that and we formed our board that night, three rangers and two of the wives and four of us still hold board positions today. Oh, sorry. What year was that? That was in 2011. Okay. And when we decided that we needed to name the organization, I knew that HUA was a term in the military used by rangers in the old days, not so much the current, the current rangers. Um, and I thought, let's make it an acronym. And so I took each letter and thought, what could we use it for? And that's how we came up with helping out our American heroes or HUA for short. Well, there you go. You know, you're taking the give back spirit. And, you know, one thing that Bob and I had talked about just before we came on to record this was, and and we know this, there's so many nonprofits that are out there and there's some people in the, in the public with the, with a negative perception about nonprofits because of so many stories that we've heard that the money or the products don't really make it to the veterans. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and, and how you've overcome those challenges? Well, yeah, a few different ways. Um, you know, when I was looking at the charities, it was very frustrating. And we were, Melissa and I were very fortunate that with me owning the company, I had some latitude. So if I wanted to work on something else a little bit, I could, you know, I didn't have deadlines. Well, I did, but I could definitely work around them. And we continued to develop the organization. It obviously became more and more time consuming. And then when I had the opportunity to sell my business, I was able to, and with the growth we've had within the organization, and I can't say enough about the volunteers we have in the organization and how much work they put in, knowing they have full-time jobs and family commitments, where Melissa and I, you know, we retired at a young age, were able to give back and put the time in as much as needed. You know, it's not unusual for me to put 40 or 50 hours a week into the organization. And Melissa is constantly at 20, 25, 30. And it's just, we're both passionate about it. We're very fortunate to be in a position to do it. And the volunteers we have throughout the organization are really what keep the wheels turning and make it happen. The, the dedication and support and work they do throughout the year, none of this would be possible without them. 
and we're very, very fortunate with the uh, group we have in this organization. That's a phenomenal story. And obviously, you know, behind every good organization, it takes the team and it takes, you know, the right people. You know, Melissa, tell us a little bit about the V22 campaign and, you know, why did HUA start to tackle the the veteran suicide issue? Well, some statistics show that 22 veterans a day are committing suicide. And our organization, when we started and we formed our national board, at each of our meetings, somebody would say, we need to do something about veteran suicide. It's getting out of hand. But we had no clue what was that something. How do you start? Where do you even begin? And we got an opportunity in January of 2015 to help an individual, a former Army Ranger medic, and we sent him to Tampa, Florida, to a program that uses accelerated resolution therapy, or ART for short, and it was a life changer for him. Uh, The gentleman who dropped him off at the airport in Michigan and picked him up called us and said, what have you done? He's a different individual. So we, from there, decided to start our Victory for 22 campaign. It's uh, trying to save 22 veterans, a day, eliminate a day worth of suicide. And we're beyond that now. We're just continuing, and we plan to continue until we're no longer living or it's no longer needed. Well, thank you for that. You know, one of the things that we've done with this show, as a matter of fact, that kind of aligns perfectly with what HUA is doing is that we are trying to eliminate the stigma that many people have out in the community about veterans and especially combat veterans, you know, a hair trigger fingers and they're going to explode at any time because of TBI and post-traumatic stress. Can you talk a little bit about the stigma that's associated with post-traumatic stress and why it's important to do these programs and to support programs like yours? Well, I think it's there are several problems with post-traumatic stress. One is, at least from a military perspective, I understand anyone can experience post-traumatic stress for a variety of reasons. But in the military world, we are it's ground into us. If you got an injury, rub some dirt on it and drive on. And, you know, it's, it's just so ingrained in us that we think that's what we have to do. And I'm sure you know, and anybody who served, you twist an ankle or you get a cut, even if it needs stitches, if you're out in the field training, just in training, let alone live combat, you just suck it up and drive on. And when you get back, you go get it taken care of and probably at the aid station and you don't want to go to the hospital. You just deal with it yourself. And with the civilian world with post-traumatic stress, it's an unseen injury. So, you know, if you break an arm, people will see the deformity in your arm or see your pain or hear it break, whatever it may be. You go to the doctor, they take an x-ray, maybe they do surgery, put a cast on it. It's all tangible type items that you can see. Right. With post-traumatic stress, think about when you're not feeling good. You have a cold. You go somewhere, I'm not feeling good. Oh, okay, well, we going out tonight? You know, it just, you can't see it. You can't feel it. And... Part of the Victory for 22 campaign 
is we want to educate the public on post-traumatic stress and what it is. And more importantly, I want to let veterans know it's, it's an injury. And I get frustrated when we, you know, you and I never served together. But if we had, the day I show up, you and I would trust each other with our lives because of the uniform we're wearing. And I don't understand why it is when we take the uniform off and we're not in the military anymore, we feel like that is gone. The mission doesn't end just because we get out of the service. And the more we can educate our veterans on that, the more lives we can save. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, many of us, probably not enough, have, you know, when we hung up the uniform, we uh, we were continuing on with our missions. And, you know, I know that, you know, HUA Inc. offers a lot of different healing modalities that aren't your typical, you know, a lot of times, you know, uh, pills don't just handle the insomnia. You know, a lot of times they create more problems. Can you elaborate, uh, Melissa, on some of the different programs that veterans can take through your initiative? Uh, yes, there's an organization that um, has a week-long program in the Tampa Bay area, uh, mm-hmm. Veterans Alternative. And there they experience um, what I already mentioned, sessions of accelerated resolution therapy or ART, which is a therapy modality. But in addition to that, there's um, IREST. There's yoga, martial arts, there's um, swimming and introduction to scuba. So there's other forms of therapy that they can experience because not one thing works the same for everybody. Other forms that we know are are very, that work really well is equine therapy. Uh, They don't have that in the Tampa Bay area, but we've known organizations who do uh, work in that area. That's great. One of the questions that's often asked, and I have heard this, you know, myself being a caller to a suicide hotline, which turned me around with the TBI. Tell the veterans that are listening out there who might be in a dark place your thoughts about reaching out, because many of them feel it's a sign of weakness. And what are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts are, I honestly, a long time ago, used to think suicide was a weakness. And I know now how wrong I was. When we would talk about it in our meetings, I would always in the back of my mind think, how could somebody who could go overseas, you know, go through what they go through and succeed, complete the mission, drive on, and then come back here and get to such a dark place that they would be willing to take their own life. These were very strong people. And for them to go to that place, I knew this had to be a powerful um, struggle or a demon within them that they 
couldn't win the battle on their own. And so when we received the call that a veteran had attempted suicide at that point, I thought we got to do something. And I have learned more about post-traumatic stress, what it is, how the brain functions. And it is an injury. It is a traumatic injury. No different. Well, it's a lot different. But if you break your arm, it can be fixed. You, you have no hesitation of going to the emergency room, seeing a doctor, getting a cast put on. But with post-traumatic stress, for some reason, we think, oh, suck it up and deal with it. It's my weakness. It's not. It is an injury that, given the proper care, can be treated and healed. And that is what we are doing. And you're doing an outstanding job, but you still need help. And we're going to do our best to get the word out there. Melissa, I want to, you know, you mentioned earlier about education and obviously it's extremely important. So people know, you know, where the money goes, the type of programs you're doing. But, you know, how how can we bridge the gap between the civilian world and, and the transitioning or the veterans? How do we bridge that gap? Well, I think an important part is that the veteran be able to tell their story to in an environment or to people they're comfortable with but they have to be at a place where they can feel comfortable enough to tell their story. And the civilians and the public have to be active listeners and engage in conversation, have to be open to hear what it is they might have to say, even though it can be tough sometimes. And with that, get them the help they need, which what we're doing is, is, through the program at Veterans Alternative and the airfare, the program, the lodging, the meals are all covered for the veteran at no cost to them. That's awesome. You know, let me ask you this. So if there's a, if there's a listener out there, a young man or a woman that has, that's, that's transitioned, they're out in the civilian world and they're feeling all alone and they're in a dark place. What kind of advice can you give them? What would you tell them right now? And then I guess it's a two part question. And then, what do you want the civilians to know uh, about veterans, Bob, and especially combat veterans? So a message to those people that might be in darkness and a message to the civilians. The thing that I've experienced in my working with veterans that are in dark places, their family members, a lot of times it's a spouse or a mother a brother or sister that will call saying, what do we do? Just recently I had a phone conversation and it was with a mother and the daughter-in-law of a, their son and husband that was in a dark place. And we started talking and, you know, we do the nice introductions and I'm, I'm going to summarize the conversation, but as we talk, there's, it, it always gets to a point where no one says anything. And then I usually just say, do you mind if I just speak a little bit and you let me know if, if I'm getting too personal or to stop if it is too painful? And they say, yes, please do. And I go, 
and again, I'm really summarizing it, but I, you feel all alone. Your loved one feels like no one can understand what they're going through. You and your family feel like there's nowhere to turn, that you're weak. You all feel helpless. And then there's a long pause. And then I usually hear, how did you know that? And I tell them, I say, because I hear it every single time. And to date, I can't even tell you. Our Victory for 22 started to help 22 veterans. This year alone, we have worked with over 100. And several of those conversations went exactly like I just gave you the example of. So I would tell them they're not alone. And people understand what you're going through. And there are a lot of good organizations and people that want to help. You have to reach out. Your family member has to reach out. And we can change it. We've seen the change. You know, give me one week of your life. And we can turn it around and we can make it better and get you back to the place you were before you experienced what no person should ever have to experience. And, and it can be done. We are also working on educating the mental health community on veteran struggles and the general public. You know, I talked to one person who has actually supported us for a long time and just this summer, he sat down and said, oh, is that really, you know, or is it really that they're struggling or is it that they just can't handle it? And we had a long conversation. And when we were done, he said, wow, I just didn't understand post-traumatic stress and the power it can have over someone. And that's what we're trying trying to do. Our Victory for 22 is going to continue on, like Melissa said, until it's no longer needed, until we're no longer here, or the people that we work with no longer want to do it if we're gone. But we want to educate the public. We want to educate mental health professionals. We want to educate the veteran community, their families. You know, a lot of times it is a parent, a spouse, a sibling that we work with, and even if they served, well, why didn't it happen to me? You know, why am I not struggling? And, you know, nothing hurts me more than when I'm in several military groups on Facebook and, and we'll, you know, everybody says, reach out, reach out, reach out, especially after someone takes their own life. But yet, why are we so willing to help somebody if they reach out? But when the time comes for that person that just typed in there a few days ago, reach out and I'll help. If he's the one that needs to reach out, he struggles with that, and he or she. And that's what we need to let veterans know. Man, we're all willing to help. And just because all of the sudden you're the one in the dark place, 
that doesn't change. So reach out. And we have to put an end to this. It, it just has to end. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. And this phenomenal transformative work that you're doing. And, you know, some things that, you know, we talk about educating the public, but, you know, when you sacrifice your time and put yourself in harm's way and you leave to a hostile environment, especially for married military personnel, sometimes, you know, another casualty of war is divorce. And divorce can have a significant effect, and that can also be part of the the post-traumatic stress and the silent, the silent disease, if you will. Yeah, I hate to, you know, but there's other peripheral things that happen to veterans that a lot of people in the civilian world, they, they happen, but they don't happen because they put themselves in harm's way. And all I can say is, is that uh, it's phenomenal work and in, for want of a better, you know, it, it's a rich environment. There's a lot of veterans out there uh, who are struggling and the loss of our friend last week. We see that firsthand, you know, before we get to the, the call of action and how listeners can can get out there and help your mission continue. Uh, victory for 22. What does freedom, Bob, mean to you personally? And Melissa, too. You're part of this, too, Melissa. So either one of you or both of you. I want to hear both of you. <laughs> well, I'll start. And for me, I think it actually means two different things. One is the freedoms we have in this country, and I will never take them for granted. It's our men in uniform, men and women in uniform that allow us freedom of speech, freedom of religion. We can criticize our government. You can choose to carry a firearm or not choose. Those are the things that I think as a country, I really do believe in, and we are so lucky to have the freedoms that so many people do take for granted. But also on a more personal level, I think freedom is learning to love yourself because if you can do that, you can appreciate all the other things we have. And that's just kind of my thoughts on it. Those are great. And you know, the love is self love is very important. And I know Melissa, um, you know, she's in this fight with you and I, it's just the first husband and wife team we've had being interviewed. And so it's kind of a treat for the listeners and for me. And what does freedom mean to you, Melissa? Well, that's a deep question. <laughs> but if, if I think about, I did not grow up in a family that had much of a military background. My grandfather served during World War II, spent some time in Germany. He was shot in the chest and received a Purple Heart. But it was something my family did not talk about. And 30 years ago, when I met Bob, he was out of the service for a few years, but he was in that point where he wasn't really connected to the military family, brothers, and in, in, in the military organizations that he once was. So we went through our first few years of not having that experience. And then when he reconnected with the military world, I learned what everybody who serves in the military, whether it be combat or not, does to fight for the freedom that we have. So I feel without the military, all branches, all positions, all units, we wouldn't have the freedoms that we do. And I'm thankful every day for those that are willing to do that so that I can live my life the way I choose. 
Well put. And I, I totally concur on all points there. And yeah, we do take a lot of things for granted. I love the fact that Bob explains as his own personal belief in freedom that self-love is the, is the very linchpin. And I love that. And also having not had a real background in, in the military, but still understanding how we get these freedoms or how they're offered to us is important, Melissa. And I, I appreciate your your comment for sure. Let me ask you, how can people help with the mission Victory for 22? How do they find out more information about org, And uh, what can they do to get you funding to help with your important mission? Well, obviously, donations are always appreciated. 100% goes right to the work we're doing. We are a 100% volunteer organization. And the people, the volunteers, the chapters we have, a lot of times we don't even reimburse ourselves for expenses that we do. We send packages, some of the postage or things like that. Um, they can learn more about us at whoinc.org. That is our website. You can go to victory422.org, make a donation directly to the Victory for 22 program, which is getting veterans and their families the help they need to overcome the demons of post-traumatic stress and also to help educate the public and our mental health professionals on what our veterans are going through. We have Facebook pages, you know, Hua Inc. And you know, next year around Veterans Day, we're actually going to be unveiling a national event. It's just going to be a ruck march right around Veterans Day. Our Wisconsin chapter has had huge success in getting the awareness out, the community support and with a ruck march. And we are going to be doing one of them across the country. So People can form a team, get donations, have fun, do a rock march to help save lives, and then donate it to the cause. And it's a way everybody can can help with something that is so important. Well, thank you for that, Bob. There you have it. You know, Mr. Bob Sebastian, United States Army veteran and, and former United States Army Ranger, one of the co-founders of HUA. Inc.org with his wife, Melissa, here on the show today. And they are doing some phenomenal work, work that is actually making a serious difference in people's lives. They're on the road to educate, to heal, to make things happen for the veteran community. And when they do that, and they are doing that, it makes our society uh, healthier and a lot more successful. I, um, I just can't say enough about people like you that continue the missions that are that are donating your time and energies to help those who need it so badly. And so all I can say is, is that I commend you on your your energy, your empathy, your compassion. We wish you great success. And I'm looking forward to meeting you in person because you're you're not too far from me. You're just down the road in Naples. And I'm up here. I'm in between Naples and Tampa. And I'd love, love, love to have a bowl of soup and maybe share a coffee with both of you. And maybe I'll invite my wife and um, that would be fun. But 
Again, there you have it, inc.org, doing some phenomenal things. Check them out, make a donation, help out the cause. These veterans need it. They deserve our help. So is there anything that you would uh, like to add, Bob? Do you live by a personal mantra every day? Well, the one thing I can say is is I, I never did experience combat, but my work with the veterans, it did start taking a toll on me. And I did experience some secondary post-traumatic stress. And when I did, and I still to this day can't believe it, my wife walked in and looked at me, said, what was wrong? And I just kind of snipped at her and said nothing. And she said, don't lie to me. And I have an Apple watch. And I looked and my heart rate was 122 beats a minute. Mm. I had just learned about a veteran that I had talked to earlier in the year and how close he actually came to committing suicide when I happened to call him. But he was putting pressure on the trigger and he put the gun down to answer my call to him. And it was because a friend had asked, I reach out because he was struggling. But um, going through all of that, I now know it was post-secondary post-traumatic stress, anxiety, and compassion fatigue. And for me, I have access to some of the best mental health professionals with the work we do, therapists that I have their personal cell phones in my phone because I work with them on a constant basis. But when that happened, guess what I felt? I felt all alone. Nobody can understand what I'm going through. I got to rub some dirt on it and drive on. I got to suck it up and deal with it. And so I guess as far as a personal mantra or thing is we are not alone. And because I realized it and I just said to myself, this is stupid. Look at the people I have in my own cell phone that I can call. I reached out. I did get help. And because of it, I feel like I have a greater understanding of how these feelings and the stark stuff can come in. Obviously not to the level of combat. And, but I can relate to the feelings of feeling you're alone, but I now have a greater understanding and I know that the veterans and their families, if they reach out, they can do so much to give back and help. I feel like I do better now because I reached out and I figured out what was going on and I asked for some help. I, I feel like I'm better able to help this organization and the veteran community. So I guess my mantra is reach out. We're not alone. The uniform might be off, but we can still depend on our brothers and sisters for each other to save our lives. 
Sorry, that was probably a long question. No, I was. I appreciate you being candid and sharing. And uh, what you outlined is this is serious business. These are lives that we're dealing with, and we can help each other if we realize that we're not alone, and if we align ourselves with organizations like HuaInc.org, because you're making a difference. I'm humbled and I'm honored and I'm very fortunate to have had your interview. And again, I'm not blowing smoke. I look forward to the future and I look forward to meeting you too. You've done incredible work and yeah, well, thank you for that. Let's just keep driving on. Absolutely. And thank you for having us and helping us get the story out there and Thanks for what you do. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for your service and everything you're continuing to do. Veteran community itself, and we've already given when we served, we can continue that mission. So vital that we continue to support each other. Thank you for that. Before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken.